Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, well, I have a lot of movies to talk about. Yeah. Um, or a fair amount for, for one week. Uh, although I always feel like anything fewer than seven in a week is a failure on my part because I want to average a movie a day. Yeah. Um, and I think probably by the end of the year, I will probably average roughly a movie a day. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, yeah, so I've got six this time, not, yeah. not quite there. Um, and, uh, let's see, we're going to start <coughs> with, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not sure whether this is a disappointment cause my hopes weren't high. Okay. But, um, now I'm forgetting the name of the director, which I usually like to say, I want to say Chris Addison's, is that right? Chris Addison's the hustle which is oh, okay. a remake or it's <laughs> reimagining one. Well, it's say? Uh, I'll quote the thing I overheard from someone uh, in line at the TCM classic film festival. So apparently that new movie with Anne Hathaway and what's her name is supposed to be the female version of dirty rotten scandals. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right. Um, so no, the hustle is, it is a remake of dirty okay. rotten scoundrels. It is a, in many, I mean, there's some updates to make room for, cell phones and Genmo and things like that. But it is beat for beat, essentially the same story. Okay. Um, and that's kind of right down to without going into details, like the fact that their mark is also right. Exactly. So like, that's kind of a weird thing. If you're familiar with the movie, because the movie has twists and yeah. you know them all cause they haven't changed them. Right. Um, but I don't know that they're banking on people being familiar with the movie. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what is the, the movie basically isn't funny and I knew it wasn't going to be cause it got rebel Wilson because of rebel Wilson. I just, and I think part of it is that I own, I am for some reason I see all her movies. <laughs> There is some, I don't know what it is. I don't see a lot of her movies, but that uh, the stuff that I have seen, she is this weird anomaly to me in that I am positive she can be funny. She everything about her has the comedy cadence, and yet I somehow, think that's all it is. Though I think she maybe that's it. She's probably like the the funniest person in like the friend group because she like has memorized all the lines from the funny <laughs> movies or from the SNL sure. sketch and can do the characters or whatever. Sure, but I don't know that she's actually that funny on her own, and she's also she like. She's always her. She's always the same person. Right. She can't. I don't think she can actually act at yeah. all. Um, which is a shame when she's up against Anne Hathaway. Yeah, you know, there's a part when the twist happens in the movie, and I'm keeping it uh, unspoiled for people who uh, either haven't seen The Hustle or haven't seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, or I haven't seen Bed- Bedtime, Bedtime Story, so, yeah. which is what Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was uh, a remake of. Um, so with David Niven uh, and Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando. That's right. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so when the twist happens Anne Hathaway's character is believably furious and devastated by it. And it's funnier because she's playing it honest. Yeah. Whereas Rebel Wilson is just doing her, you know, lazy improv thing that yeah. she's just trying to come up with more laugh lines she's not playing the character's reaction well and at it's, all it's also strange because yeah she's always playing herself mm-hmm. which I, i'm really sorry she's always pl- playing on her persona i don't like when people say they're playing themselves right but like there's she has a very specific on-screen persona 
and it's a very it's such a specific persona it's like this doesn't fit into everything it's this very it's a fairly monotone low energy british type of of thing she's australian but yeah australian pardon me um which is to say like i'm to some audiences i think it sounds it's like oh it's different yeah you know it's a different accent um but it's it's that can be funny like that low like small reactions to things that can work but i don't know if i've i just don't know if she's ever been well utilized like there's part of there's this part of my brain that's like she can work wonders in the right role. I've just never, ever seen it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know my hopes are up. Maybe because I've seen pretty much everything she's done okay. except for Pitch Perfect 3. But she I, was in, saw, uh, I saw it was in a romantic. I saw, um, I saw How to Be Single. Oh, um, yeah. What else was, was she, she was in? in uh, of course. Struck by Lightning. Did you see oh, that? No, I didn't see Struck by Lightning. She's also bad in that, but then so is everybody. Right. I, I just, it's just really... Uh, it's just a bummer. Uh, um, because there is, there is some funny stuff going on in the movie. Most of it is coming from Anne Hathaway. Um, because she's doing the thing of, I don't know that, I don't know if Anne Hathaway is funny, but I know that she's a good actor and therefore it's funny because she believes it and makes you believe it. Um, she looks great. The, the, the costumes they have in Mm -hmm. Hathaway are amazing. There's also a funny choice she makes, because she's playing the Michael Caine character, who obviously was British, mm-hmm. so her character is doing a British accent the entire time. But it's never quite clear if she is British or if this is just part of her like oh that's con man persona because it's a very overdone yeah uh, it, it's a yeah very hammy accent. And Rebel Wilson makes some crack about her being from Wisconsin, really. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. We don't know. It's we're never told if that's funny if it's true. Yeah, that's funny. And speaking of accents, there's okay the one. There's one Rebel Wilson part that I really did laugh at. And it was one of my favorite parts from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And again, I'm going to tiptoe uh, around it because it happens at the end. Um, but there's a part where there's a long pause and then Michael Caine breaks out in an Australian accent all of a sudden. Do you remember? <laughs> right, yes. Uh, what does he say? Like, howdy, Nekos. <laughs> um, to, uh, anyway, um, so there's this again there's it's beat for beat it's the same movie so there's the same thing but obviously she is australian yeah so she busts out a south african accent and it really <laughs> works and it was like one of the bigger laughs of the movie for me but i would suggest that's funny precisely because you can compare it to the other one like if you, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. if you hadn't seen it would it be that funny um the original? I, still, I still think so. okay i still think so um uh but yeah the 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 funniest line is in the trailer. I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Um, uh, I don't think so. When uh, well, you remember when they've got in the first one, Steve Martin is playing the like the the brother who's yeah. um, mentally unbalanced or whatever. Yeah. So in ev- in whatever way you yeah. choose to interpret it, yes. And so Robert Wilson is playing that sister, and she is playing target practice with the butler and a shotgun, mm-hmm. and then Hathaway is like. Oh, don't worry. She's a terrible shot to the got to the mark mm-hmm. or whatever. And then she like shoots and the butler who's in on it, obviously yeah. like gets hit and falls down. There's a, uh, there's a long pause and Anne Hathaway goes, Oh, that was unexpected. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, it was the funniest line in the trailer and yeah. it was the funniest line in the movie, unfortunately. All right. I've talked too much about the hustle. Um, I wish I could recommend it, but I can't. And go, next see, up, go see dirty rotten scoundrels. If you haven't seriously. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I, the last time I watched it was when Glenn Headley died because mm-hmm. um, it was there's so many good Glenn Headley movies but uh, I think that's the one I always thought, thought who of who plays the mark in the um, hustle 
Uh, I can't remember his name. He's done some stuff. He's not bad. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember his name. Um, now you made me lose my Sorry. place here. Uh, okay. So. Wait, what was I going to say? Was I going to say something else about Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Oh, just that I grew up watching Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And yeah. So that's where my mind went immediately when uh, Glenn Headley died. Anyway. Moving on. The next thing I watched was... Wanari Kahiu's Rafiki, okay. uh, which is uh, a movie that I had heard of mostly because it's a Kenyan movie that was banned in Kenya oh. because it's about a um, same-sex romance. Okay. It's about a girl who falls in love with another girl. Um, and um, uh, the word Rafiki means friend. Okay. Um, and uh, I guess that's kind of a... I guess it's supposed to be kind of a euphemism Got that it. they're friends, but they're more than friends or Got whatever. It. Um, and, uh, so I, yeah, I, whenever I am approaching a movie, knowing something about the movie that isn't this movie is supposed to be good. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm yes. a little cautious. Uh, I'd had no reason to be cautious. This actually is a really, really good movie Spe- for a number of reasons, but I would say the main reason is the cast, the the lead, uh, Samantha Mugazia as Kenna, and then Sheila Maniva as Ziki, uh, the uh, the young woman she falls for, are pitch perfect. They are people. They neither. This is the first role for both of them. Oh wow! And they both seem like they were born to be in front of the camera. They're they're just so charismatic. There's so much depth to their performances. They're so real. Um, and the movie really, it really does feel like, you know, it, it definitely deals with the fact that, um, you know, it's not here in America being a gay teenager is rough, mm-hmm. but in Kenya, yeah, it's well, yeah. very, very bad. When a movie um, about your plight is banned. Yeah. Exactly, that's, yeah. yeah. As opposed um, to like love Simon, which does very well, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so the movie does get into that sort of that territory, but so much, so much of it, I, cause I, I often have a problem with so many movies about gay people or about, mm-hmm. or, or queer people of any sort are about them suffering. Sure. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times that feels like those movies are made more for the like liberal straight audience. Right. This is the thing I say all the time that it's for people like me to yeah. pat themselves on the back for, you know, uh, being exposed to this sort of thing. I was going to say anytime um, a movie like whether in the marketing materials or in general, somebody says like this movie's very brave. It's like, Oh boy. <laughs> um, like, yeah. Uh, through no fault of the movie. It winds up having yeah. this extra layer to it. But but Rafiki definitely has some of that, but so much of it is just a really touching and really, really keenly observed portrait of what a young crush feels like, mm-hmm. like what it feels like to be so blissfully consumed with another person. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels it's like walking on air. It's like being filled with helium is what I said in my review. It's uh, and the movie really gets that. The other thing that it does really well, and I want to uh, credit the the director uh, and her crew, is the movie is beautiful to look at, not just in the fact that there are these great sunsets and 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 uh, you know beautiful scenery, but the movie is, and I, from what I understand from my little bit of research, this is pretty true to sort of millennial 
life in Nairobi, it's so colorful. Mm. It is everything, every wall, every article of clothing that everyone wears is so colorful that um, literally in order for Zeke to stand out as a particularly colorful person, her hair has to be neon, mm. <laughs> you know, cause everyone is so c- just covered and just draped and drenched in color all the time. Um, it's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful and, and vibrant. And of course, uh, it ultimately is quite upsetting, uh, as well, but it's a r- really sharp, uh, really enjoyable, really, um, uh, successful film. Okay. Okay. Uh, one more and then you go, I think. Yep. Uh, so next up. Oh, okay. Now, you, something you know about me, Tyler, that you have complained about me and my wife has also complained about. Oh, good. About All right. Me. I mean, you, I mean, good company. I like that. Yeah. And it's honestly, it is a fault of mine that most of my, the recommendations, the things that I take in that I'm like, oh, I should watch that come from, uh, uh sources that are not familiar to me like yes. I, I they're 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 distant they're cold they're anonymous is what i'm saying they're right. I'm, I'm reading critics i don't know or lists you know or surveys strangers yes. strangers yes but when a friend or someone who knows me very well says hey you should watch this i'm probably not going to and it's a, it's a problem there is i've i've Develop, I developed a theory about why you do that, and I think it just it comes from this idea for the same reason that people have affairs. You know what I mean? Like the person you're with, there's no mystic, there's no mystery to them anymore. There's no thrill. <laughs> it's just like, oh, Tyler recommended this. I lived with him. He was a he was a slob. Why would I ever <laughs> listen to his recommendation? Oh, this over this person over here. I see nothing wrong with them at all. I should listen to that. I'm being facetious. Yeah, it's probably but. not bad. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, I think it's probably me bristling at the idea of being an open book. That someone like the idea that someone knows me well enough to say sure. I would like it is something that I want to fight against. Got it. Yes. Which is which is a problem. I'd say that's coming to like something a to close explore. friend or my wife. I should probably be okay with them having a handle on me you know uh, but i don't I, I don't like it yeah so like the last time i recommended a movie to you threw a drink in my face <laughs> um, uh, so but uh, this movie i did watch this movie on my wife's recommendation but specifically because it's a movie it's a documentary about literally her job she's oh. not in it but my wife is a children's social worker with the los angeles county and uh this is a movie that is uh, available to watch on hbo uh it's called foster oh, um, okay. and oh, it is boy. about the foster care system and about the social workers so it's about both fo- foster kids foster parents and social workers um uh and foster there's a little bit with uh with non county foster agencies there's mm-hmm. one but they're not that big of a part they're clearly working with dcfs here sorry department of children and family services yes. is what i meant to say um i my wife says it all the time so i forget that not everyone knows um what the, what it stands for anyway so you you, you bristled like oh this is going to be rough but clearly this is an a documentary made from an advocacy point of view this yeah. is a documentary that wants to say these that I think there are a lot of like you, like you said, it's rough. There's a lot of stories about there about foster parents who are just in it for the payday who don't care about the kids. Kids get shuffled around. You know, my, my wife as a child social worker has to deal with the stigma of people saying, so you're the one who takes kids away from their moms, which is something that she has to do. 
you know, a few times a year, but it's something yeah. that she, that she and her coworkers actively try to make a last resort, you know? And so this is a movie that I think was set out to make the case that what these people are doing is good, important work. And it's so fascinating because Jen and I went through the entire program of foster, uh, being a foster parent. Like we did all the tests, like we did the, the training and, and all of that, you know, I'm, uh, what do you call it? So I'm certified in uh, CPR and all wow. that. Um, before our, before our agency ultimately said, we don't think fostering is, or we are doing foster to adopt, but that's pretty rare. Okay. And they're like, we don't think fostering is for you. Oh. Um, because of the idea of like getting really attached to the kid. Right. And then, and after the kid could be reuni- you know, reunified with their, their uh, birth parents after two years, you know, and that is officially good, but extremely heartbreaking. And so they said that for somebody like for people in our situation, which is we are unable to have kids and we have, I personally have certain mental depression issues and that sort of thing. Um, as opposed to other, the other people we were with in the program, like they often had, several children of their own already and they were in it to foster specifically. And so they said that it would, it would be very, uh, discouraging at least for us to, to have that happen. So we kind of took their word for it, but one of the results is this idea of like going into the program from my perspective, it's, it's actually difficult not to demonize the initial parents like the eight, like the, the social worker, Oh, we're on, we're on their side. Like we are on the side of the kid, which means do everything you can to get them out of a bad situation Mm -hmm. and then try to make that situation better so that you can put them back in that situation. But first things first, like the idea is like, Oh, you're the one that takes kids away. It's like, you don't like the way I think it's like, no, 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 no. I don't blame them. Yeah. You blame the initial parent who possibly through no fault of their own, maybe because of an addiction or something like that are, they are not in a position to take care of that kid. I see social workers as like, I won't say heroes because you know, they're just doing their job, but they are often demonized by yeah. others. And I, I view I them kind of as, heroes, but that's, I view I'm them as my wife. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I view them as nothing but positive. And yeah. so it's, it's interesting that there's like an entire documentary that needs to be made in order to advocate this thing. Yeah. Because to me, I've only, because for the last few years, I've only thought of them yeah. favorably. Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. We yeah. wound up not talking about the no, film that's at okay. all. I mean, we could talk, I could talk about this movie for hours cause it's, um, uh, it's so fascinating to see what to actually, cause I hear, you know, bits and stories. My, my wife doesn't tell me that much about her job because, um, they're kind of, she went through, you know, she studied to do this and they're kind of told like, you should probably have a therapist and don't burden like, you know, work-life balance. Don't burden the people. Like I'm sure my wife sees, things that would depress me for a week yeah. every day. And she, so she doesn't always tell me all that stuff. You know, she has a therapist for that, but, um, it is, so it is interesting to actually see some of the stuff that I've, that I've gotten hints of. Um, one of them, uh, uh, case in point is a baby is born and, um, the baby's, uh, blood is tested, which generally is supposed to happen to all babies. Mm-hmm. They, um, I, think they tend to 
poor people and minority people tend to sure. get uh, tested a little more stringently. But anyway, um, uh, but this young this young woman um, had has a baby. The baby tests positive for cocaine. Mm-hmm. The mother did cocaine or smoked crack or something while while this baby just knows how to party. Uh, Yeah, and um, so obviously the mother can't be with the kid, but uh, you see them. They don't just like, well, take the baby and put it in a foster. Like they find, and luckily the father is um, is very uh, very is clean and responsible. And over the course of the movie, proves himself to be a very responsible parent. And so my wife, my wife, like. My wife saw it. They showed it to them at work. So my, wife, mm-hmm. my wife saw it at work. Told me. So then, when she came home, or when I saw it the next day, or whatever, I, I was like, "And how about that one dad? He was so great." And my wife, my wife, kind of like set me straight to like, let's not bend over backwards praising fathers for doing what we expect mothers to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He was just a good dad. Like yeah. he wasn't. It's like that Chris Rock thing uh, when someone's like, "I take care of my kids." Like, yeah, you're supposed <laughs> to. Supposed That's to. like the baseline of yeah. being a parent. Yeah, uh, but even I found myself uh, guilty of being like, "Wow, I can't believe what a great yeah. dad this guy's being." But he's just being a good right. dad. Um, but yeah, the, uh, so the, but yeah, there's there's a few main characters. So that that whole storyline is followed. Um, there's another foster girl, um, who's, who's followed. There's a social worker who came out of, who grew up in the foster system, um, that, that my wife found very touching. There's another kid. Uh, and then there's a foster mom who is, um, to go to what you were saying, she'd had one or two kids and then something happened where she couldn't have anymore. Right. So she fostered to adopt. Um, and she's got, uh, she's the breakout star. I think of the, of the thing. Cause she's like such a colorful character. Her name's Ursuline. Um, and she, uh, loves all her kids. She doesn't differentiate in like the language they use in the house. Yeah, it's yeah. not like adopted or step or whatever. It's right. like, that's my daughter, you know, no matter what. Um, and, uh, um, she's got this no nonsense thing. Like, uh, the one daughter she was fostering, she ended up adopting and they were like, when they came to say, we're going to try to adopt her. She was like, I'm not leaving my house. I'm not leaving my church. (laughs) 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 She's just speaking for the daughter. She's a very, uh, very charming woman, this Ursuline. And also talk about it. Hero. I mean, this, what this one does. Uh, um, anyway, so foster it's available on HBO. Uh, I would recommend you watch it because then everyone will know, uh, how great my wife is. All right. <laughs> All right. What did you watch? Uh, so I've watched several things, but only one real, only one thing I could really talk about on the show. Okay, um, yeah. and so, uh, but, uh, but I've been watching stuff that has been enjoyable but not necessarily entertaining so unfortunately this week the one thing i can talk about is something that's just pure entertainment okay and that is escape room oh i'm so glad Which you finally <laughs> got to see it <laughs> and you know and because you saw it and you yeah. liked it right yeah. yeah um i mean on one hand it's very was d- a, it's very dumb there was a brief moment <clears throat> where i was the Rotten Tomatoes review that pushed it to fresh. I think it since fell back to uh, rotten, unfortunately. But I, I pushed it to fresh for like one so night. So it would appear that there's not just one hero in that household. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um, it is it is v- very dumb in a lot of ways. I'd say specifically the dialogue. The dialogue is really clunky, really obvious, um, and just you can see where the writer's like, 
Okay, we've hinted enough at this character's backstory. The time has come to have them say literally everything okay. that we need to, that we have been not so subtly hinting at before. But that's but not the point. That's not the point. It's not the point. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there are times when I'm, when I'm watching and I just kind of roll my eyes. Um, but stylistically, it's done so well. And I think the actors are, are great. I've been a fan of Tyler Labine for a while. Oh, and sure, I think yeah. he does a great job. I think, the, I think the whole cast is great. And I think they have I, a lot of... I like of, um, Deborah Ann Wall. Yeah. Uh, and you haven't lot. seen Daredevil, right? No, but I watched okay. uh, True Blood for two years. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I liked her. And, and yeah, I just... I, I really liked everybody uh, involved. Um, and they have really good chemistry. Uh, the kind of chemistry that you need where... We're dealing with archetypes, so they have to play that while also trying in their performance to elevate uh, a little bit. Um, but the the pacing, you know, I've I've done escape rooms, and it feels like that. Like everybody's running to a different corner to see, and like, hey guys, I got this. Yeah. Does anybody have any idea what this could be? Yeah. Uh, so there's the exhilaration of that, um, and of course, my first thought. After, you know, multiple characters die in this escape room, I'm just like, man, I want to do an escape room. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's to me, that's what it's. I mean, you're right about all the character stuff, whatever. To me, if you're going to have a movie with this premise, yeah, the puzzles have to be good. Yeah. And they have to work. And it absolutely did. They get I'll say this. They they the puzzles lessen quite a bit as they go along. Like okay. once, once it's all at once, the plot has really kicked in and the, and we're going at a faster pace. They don't do nearly as much as they do in like the first two rooms, you okay. know? Um, but I did find myself thinking like, man, these are great themes for rooms, you know, yeah. like as someone who has well, done those, I really enjoy them. That the oven, that oven things. Oh yeah. But I love the upside down roadhouse thing or whatever. It's, it's to be. such a neat idea and it's so disorienting and it, it immediately allows the director to shoot it in an, in any number of different ways. And so there are moments, you know, where they turn the camera upside down. So it just looks like a regular place, but there's Deborah Ann Wool like crawling, like in the exorcist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's great. And so it's just a, it's a very fun movie. It leaves things wide open for a sequel in a way that I'm not super thrilled with because, um, do I have a hard time seeing the film as pure horror. I see it more as a thriller. Okay. Right. Um, and then when you look at that ending, it seems almost more in like an, in the action vein. Um, but that's, I think that's what I, I would like I it think to go. <laughs> the, it would know. be interesting it, if the sequel just changed, uh, basically changed genres completely. But I just worry that like, you know, I, I like this Rube Goldberg type thing. Yeah. And I just, I worry that by, by you know expanding the world a little bit i hope that they don't lose that initial conceit okay um okay do you yeah. know what i mean no, when i, I do know what yeah. you mean yeah um there's just yeah. uh, you know but, there's uh, there's inherent do you think, was it successful enough do you think there actually will be a sequel i'll I, say this i, I'm I mean bad at this a lot of my students saw it okay at the time like a lot of them um it was just like a because a lot of them had done escape rooms and it, the, I think the film like really like really capitalized on that craze. And I think a lot of people saw it and it just looked like, you know, it was PG 13. It was the kind of fright new Friday night night movie for teenagers yeah. and college students to go and see and enjoy. Um, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I think it's far from perfect, but it definitely, it definitely hooked me and, and, just kind of kept me the whole time. Like even right down to this idea of like, 
the waiting room being the first room mm. and mm. the the slow reveal of that is like that's you know the slow reveal and then the very quick upping of the stakes like i just i really uh yeah. i liked it quite a bit all right um moving on i you're gonna be so proud of me okay I, um no longer ignorant in the ways of harold lloyd i saw that i, I saw your first review. ever harold lloyd movie i watched 1927's the kid brother mm-hmm. and i loved it yeah it uh, it's really really great i found and part of this might be because this is the new criterion blu-ray part of this might be because um the the transfer restoration is so beautiful so crisp they're so doing perfect. very good work with with yeah. this stuff um but i felt like compared to the other two major silent film stars mm-hmm. um charge charlie chaplin and buster keaton the the Herod Lloyd character felt in a way more modern mm-hmm. to me. Like he feels like his anxieties are maybe a little bit more complex. Do you know what I mean? I uh, wrote an entire essay about this you yeah. can, uh, in my, do you have a copy of worth watching? I forget. Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, I wrote a, an essay about the relatability of Harold Lloyd. It's what got me into UCLA oh, right. and it's about the Lloyd character and that he just, because he just added glasses to him and then played a character that's just a little bit naive, but still eager and, yeah. And adaptable. And it's like, and I love the character of like the stone face as Buster Keaton. And then I love the little tramp, but I do think that the, the character of Harold or the boy is just more malleable and more adaptable. Yeah. Um, and his, uh, yeah, like his reaction because he falls in love in this movie too with uh, uh, Jobina or Jabina Ralston. Uh, uh, Jabina, I Jabina, who was in a bunch of movies with mm-hmm. him, uh, as uh, as I've learned. Um, and I, whereas, um, I guess there's something about the other two. I don't want to sound like I'm because, like you said, I like Charlie, Charlie Charlie Chaplin and I like Buster Keaton, but when they have romantic interests, it's not real you mm-hmm. know it's like cartoony in one way to one extreme the other. either like charlie chapman is like overly like fawning or buster keaton yeah. is like from another planet or whatever but uh i really believed that this character was falling for this yeah. this woman i really and i believe his anxieties the movie has a cinderella type of plot uh where he's the youngest brother of a family of um uh just rough and tumble lawmen mm-hmm. and they treat him as they call him a boy like the town meeting is no place for boys when he was like 32 oh, or yeah. 33 yeah. at the time of the movie um and so he has to stay behind the town meeting and then he uh becomes that we get mistaken for the sheriff and anyway um so uh yeah i, I liked all that and then what i'll, I'll say about the kid brother because it's a western um and in that way, it's very similar to the general in the sense that for large stretches of the movie, it's an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's like not a kind of that that big chase. First off, what a great location that mm. that abandoned sort of listing riverboat. Yeah. You know that they're chasing each other through portholes and up over decks and stuff. It's like a super awesome, super awesome chase. Um, uh, and it and, uh, and there's some there's some funny bits in it but it also just works as an action movie uh and then the last thing i'll say the 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 this the shot that made me go holy cow or something like that out loud yeah. while i was watching the movie is there's a part after he's first met jabana ralston 
um, and she's walking away down a hill. Mm-hmm. And so he climbs a tree to catch a glass glimpse of her and say something. And then she disappears over the hill and then he climbs a tree and he, and he keeps in one unbroken yeah. take, which I read that they built like an elevator for the camera to do that in one unbroken take. He climbs way, way up this tree. Yeah. And not only is it like, wow, it's cool. They got the camera to do that. It's cool. that He's actually climbing the tree. And also this shot is just beautiful. Now it reminded yeah. me of the beginning of the Tom Waits, um, chapter of Buster Scruggs. Oh yeah. yeah. He's up in a tree yeah. in that too. Um, uh, and that, that was so great. And then of course, of course he falls out of the tree. Of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure you, uh, I'm trying to think what, what year did kid brother come out? Uh, 27, 27. Okay. So you know about his hand, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of psychopath is like, Hey, I've blown off most of the fingers on my left hand. I think my, I think my comedy should be built around climbing. <laughs> That'll yeah. work out great. Yeah. Uh, you can't tell though. You can't tell. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, really good, really great, and again, really beautiful Blu-ray. Definitely yeah. worth. Are you are you interested? We are now in a position to combine two two of the things you've talked about, which is uh, <laughs> refusing to take recommendations from yeah. people that you hypothetically love, and then uh, and then you're now, li- liking, liking Harold Lloyd. Yeah. So now I own pretty much everything he's made. Yeah. Um, not everything is the Blu-ray release. Yeah, it's more about time <clears throat> okay. right now than anything, which yeah. is, I feel like, increasingly... Uh, I am I am proud of few things that I've done in my life as much as I am Battleship Pretension. Yeah. Um, but the way that it has completely taken over pretty much all of my movie watching yeah. um, is sometimes a little daunting to, to realize. Right. Um, and it has, especially having a full-time job, there's times when I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. Cause I got to go home and watch this thing. And like, right. uh, so yeah, I, I very rarely have time to watch things that aren't for the podcast or the website. Which, I'm so this sorry is, to hear that. Um, ah, it's not actually that bad. Uh, yeah, you said, um, like, thankfully it's a thing you enjoy doing, I love. but there is, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, what needs to happen is someone needs to send me a disc to review, <laughs> um, like, like, like what happened here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely great. Okay. Moving on to a documentary that I saw, uh, it comes out at the end of June, I think. Um, it's called, uh, it's called Maiden. And it's sort of, do you remember, uh, a few couple months ago, I talked about a documentary called Hurley about a, yeah. uh, an endurance racer. Yes. Um, and that movie wasn't very good, but it, like I learned about, this is a, uh, <laughs> this might come up in our main episode this week. I learned about endurance race car driving. I didn't know about that. And that's really interesting. Well, Maiden is a movie that is good. And also I didn't realize there was an annual organ. Or I don't know if it was annual, but there's an organized sailing race around the world mm-hmm. called the Whitbread. They leave from Southampton, England, it goes in four or five legs and it takes like eight or nine months and sailors sail around the world. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in 1980, Oh shit. Now I'm forgetting. Was it 87? Now I'm forgetting. Uh, so 1987, let's say whatever year was, was the first year there was an all female sailing sailing team. Um, and you're not going to believe this. 
Tyler, but in the um, in the uh, aristocratic, deeply entrenched world of around the world sailing, there was a little bit of misogyny, a little bit of these are the same people who probably golf at places that don't allow women. So they were probably uh, (laughs) so there is a, a, a lot of doubt and mockery. And what's weird is that the movie they interview. Um, like journalists from the time who still like they have some respect for these women sure. more than they have the time, but they still seem to talk about it as a kind of novelty, which is crazy. I mean, I guess at the time it was, but, but the fact that they still see it that way now. Oh, you know. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Like it seems like some of these these old boys club things just haven't they they haven't learned anything because the women. I don't. I'm not going to give too much away about how they did uh, in in the race, um, but because uh, it's it's fun to to watch that on its own. But the movie, the main thing about the movie is that it's, there's so much footage. Um, I don't know if, I, I don't know if they had planned to make a movie at the time or something, but there, there is so much footage to the point where I started to wonder, and this is something I think increasingly every time I watch a documentary, whenever you get to like the talking head interviews, mm-hmm. my first thought is, is this part necessary? Yeah, it's such a crutch now. Absolutely. That I, my one sort of, because I really, Maiden is definitely worth watching, definitely worth seeking out when it comes out at the end of of June. Um, But I did find myself thinking a couple times during the movie, there's so much footage. Did we need these interviews? Like, is there any, is there a light being cast by the interviews you know, like I said, the interviews with the journalists uh, is interesting in a in a uh, kind of depressing uh, yeah. or at least disappointing way. Um, but uh, that's just something I, increasingly I think about that every time I see a documentary. Well, it's something that um, you and I, I think, talked about recently um, that I mean, there there are good movies that are like talking head type films, you know, I mean, the fog of war is that's only that. Um, but that's the whole point of it. Yeah. But I do, you know, you said it was a crutch and I would actually, I would say something that's similar, which is it makes it all feel so much safer because there's somebody there or it shows, it, it feels like the documentarian is, is less, is maybe not trusting me Mm. to draw certain conclusions or, 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 keep track of what's going on. Um, and so these talking heads come along and they contextualize what we're seeing, which if it's, if it's a documentary, like in retrospect, okay, that's understandable. But I was thinking recently about, um, what's it called? The inventor, uh, out for blood in Silicon Valley, which it's an Alex Gibney movie. And it's made just like every other one of his documentaries, which is interesting, informative, but nothing groundbreaking. And I thought like that company was incredibly well documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had news stories. She gave speeches, and then its eventual downfall was documented. If you like, imagine you uh, putting together a documentary of that story only from footage that existed. E- again, either interviews or speeches or news stories. Yeah. And so, like, and so the the viewer can follow the follow the story as though they were watching it at the time, but it's been condensed. You know, it's yeah. to me that is so much more. It's and we talked about this as well that like it creates this sense of urgency 
but out of that, there's a, there's always the risk that the viewer could get lost yeah. and not know what's going on. But, but to me, who done, cares? Did it you went, see LA 92, that documentary about the no, LA riots? No. Cause that's entirely news yeah. footage from the time. Yeah. It's full two hour movie entirely. And it works great. The, I mean, talking head stuff can be done well. I remember many years ago, there was a, a documentary about nine, uh, about uh, September 11th from the point of view of, I think a single fire station. And oh. so, you know, we're seeing all, of course, footage that we're very familiar with, but then we're getting talking head interviews from some of the firefighters and there's one that's conspicuously absent mm. and you feel like, okay, I sure. see, I yeah. see where we're going here. But then as, as they're telling the story and then they reveal that this guy was stuck under rubble and they, and they recovered him. Now his talking head oh. interview shows up. So like, that, that seems a little too cutesy. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little cutesy, but I also appreciate that. Like they're trying to put you in, like, even yeah. though it's in, in retrospect, they're trying to put you in the same, in the mindset at yeah. least, no, I, I get it. Yeah. you know, I wonder if the talking head thing has become, has seemed more chintzy, because of the influence of reality television, which always sure. has these confessional things Absolutely. to the point where now there are like game shows that aren't really reality shows like chopped. It's not a sure. reality show. It's right. a game show, but it has the confessional like yeah. reflecting back or they're doing the thing that are, it's such bullshit. Uh, it's my least favorite part of chopped. Um, but like they're talking about it as if they're giving their, present so you're seeing the footage mm-hmm. and there's and they're saying okay so i look at the artichoke hearts and i think to myself blah blah, blah and it's like it, it also it's also fakey yeah um anyway chopped I, is great did you see the snl chopped sketch no um you if you don't watch chopped you wouldn't right. find it right. funny I, I don't think um and i will say but, that i i uh pitched a documentary to a streaming service that would be prime it would essentially be a uh a video essay, just like a long video essay, that Tom Anderson type of thing. Yeah. Um, and they really liked the idea, but they also asked like, well, can we get some interviews in there and all that? And part of me is like, that's not yeah. what this is, but that's, it was a way for them to sell it. Like if we have interviews with these key people within this thing, uh, they can sell it easier. And part of me is like, okay, well I gave you, a budget breakdown that's yeah. very very low if anyone watches this you've made money like at all and well, so what if you do the um the room 237 thing of never actually showing the people uh, i did toy with that idea yes yeah. and so there's ways to make it happen but and part of me is like well i'm gonna use like existing speeches that they've given uh but it would it, again it would be it would still be part of this just everything is archival and everything is, is, you know, clips from movies and that kind of thing. So it's definitely something that I think studios like, because again, it's safer. It's, it's clearer. It's all of that. But I do think that makes documentaries less interesting. Yeah. At least to us. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's probably true. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Most of the people who are watching these documentaries on Netflix probably are, uh, Save that for the main show this week. Indeed. Uh, all right, one move, one final movie, and I saw I saw a movie. It's it's out this weekend. It's directed by Rai Russo Young. It's called The Sun Is Also a Star. Mm-hmm. We talked about it briefly in our summer movie preview. Yes. I said the trailer didn't look good, and I spent most of this movie going, "Man, I can't wait to tell people that this movie is so much better than it looks." Okay. Um, and it definitely has probably like the, 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 the screenplay is full of some real clunker 
lines of dialogue. But you've got two very charming leads. Um, uh, uh, Yara Shahidi and Charles Melton, who are both TV stars. Mm. She's on, she was on blackish and he is on Riverdale. Maybe one of those like probably kids. Yeah. <laughs> like one of those uh, <laughs> high school shows. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, and basically it's, the, it's, it's funny because Jen is watching Riverdale as we, as oh. we speak. Um, it's uh, basically like a before sunrise type 24 hours of walking around New York city and talking. Okay. But it, the, the, the thing is at the end of the 24 hours, she and her family are being deported back to Jamaica. Right. Yes. Um, and then he's also in a in, uh, first generation. Um, so she was born in Jamaica and, and came over. Uh, he was born in America. His parents are South Korean and he is trying to get into Dartmouth. That's his whole thing. He has a, an alumni interview trying to get a spot at Dartmouth because his parents are insisting he become a doctor and something yeah. he wants to do anyway. Um, but you've got very, very charismatic and charming leads. You've also got a really beautiful, um, um, the writer who's young as a director, the cinematographer's name is Autumn Durald. Um, well, I guess it's kind of up and coming cause she also just shot, um, teen spirit that, um, uh, Max Mangiello. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the, the sun is also a star is so great to look at. It has a really great sense that I think is both visually textured and rich and, uh, on its own, but also has a lot to do with, says a lot about the characters and their lives in New York city. It has a sense where there are these, these sort of like sky, you know, uh, drone type shots, or whatever that give you the, give you the idea of the, of a city like Manhattan, um, as a grid, you know, like mm-hmm. as a clean grid, but the closer you get to the ground level, the more you realize that there are these sort of architectural nooks and crannies, you know, just off the sidewalk. There's a shop here and an alley here, you know, there's a little bit of a, of patio here or whatever. And everything has its own character, the closer you get to it. And it really, I don't know New York well enough to say that it's a great New York movie, mm-hmm. but it felt really tactile. Uh, it felt very of the moment. Um, I really was enjoying so much of the movie. And then the movie ends, except it doesn't. There is, and I've since looked it up, there is a clear ending, which is where the book ends. Okay. And then there's a a clear last laugh style studio mandated ending at the end um, that I I was furious (laughs) because I, I went in just knowing from the trailer, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this. It looks real, really, really corny um, and superficial. And it kind of is at times, but it also has a lot more uh, other things going on. And so I spent the movie being like, I can't wait to tell people I was wrong. I can't yeah. wait to tell people don't count this movie out. And I still think there's a lot to recommend in it. Just get up and leave when it ends the first time because this, <laughs> this ending. And I knew as soon as, as soon as I realized it didn't end where it felt like it was ending, I was like, I know exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. And this is, this is bullshit. It's infuriating. It's like, uh, that movie that only I n- have seen apparently like of people in our age group, other people's money, um, <laughs> which is based on uh, a play. Oh wait, I watched this. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's enjoyable. Danny DeVito, Gregory Peck, Penelope Ann Miller, uh, Miller, uh, a lot of good, uh, actors in it um and it's based on a play and it's a very uh it's a very 80s play where you know like one could say almost predatory capitalism wins out um and is viewed as 
not entirely negative, but also not, but certainly not entirely positive. It's just like, it's this very frustrating ending where like our main character is played by Danny DeVito and he's this shark, this like corporate shark. Um, and he makes arguments in favor of his viewpoint and his actions and they're fairly convincing. Mm -hmm. And then it ends and he has won, but for him to want to win, it means that like a lot of, like small town people and like this small town factory, like essentially is going to get shut down. People are going to be put out of work. And even though he has made an argument in favor of it, that it's just like, I mean, I see where he's coming from. Like once it happens, you're like, Oh, that's right. This is a, this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then the play ends, right? The movie continues <laughs> and the movie like just tax on this. Like, and it's, it's very clear. Like you can stop right here. And there is definitely a sense of finality to it. It's a sad sense of finality, yeah. but with this extra five minutes, clearly the studio is like, we don't like this. We like, I know we paid to produce this play, but uh, we want to change it uh, in its very essence if we can. And, and that's the, the thing about, and I do wonder if my action, my, my reaction right now, um, like right now, because it's still so fresh in my mind, maybe mm-hmm. I'm more willing or, or more, uh, prone to just being like, oh, fuck that movie. It pissed me off. And maybe as I get more distance from it, I'll spend more time thinking about all the things about The Sun sure. is also a star that exactly. I liked. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, and then ending's stupid and it won't bother me as much. Um, but the thing is, unlike other people's money, the the true ending of Sun is, the book mm-hmm. ending of Sun is also a star isn't really a downer. I would say it's bittersweet. And apparently that wasn't good enough for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. This is, oh, makes me so mad. You... You chose to make this movie because the book was a success. Yep. So obviously the audience is there for this story. Why? Yeah. You're going to improve on it. There is one instance that I can think of where they added a type of happy ending to a book and it worked. And that's out of sight. Oh, okay. where the, I, I don't remember how the book ends. The book ends I read it once. with, Jack Foley uh, is going back to jail. Oh, and right. oh, Karen yeah, Sisko's, like that. it's great. And Karen Sisko's on the phone with her dad. And the last line of the book is my daughter, the tough babe. Uh-huh. And that's the end of the book. It's a great ending, yeah. but there's a bittersweet quality to it. But then here they do have that line. And then she's going to drive him or she's going to be there and drive him off to, to jail. But she has worked it so that he is in the car yeah. with Samuel Jackson in a cameo. Um, and he has broken out of jail many times. And so it's just like, yeah, but that's clever. It's, it's clever. It's, not, it's, it suggests that like, well, she's not going to, she's not going to let him go. She's right. not going to break him out. But if he happens to break out as a function of this thing that she has facilitated, well, so be it. You know, it's, it's, I feel like that's one where it kind of, at least it's, yeah, at least the tacked on seemingly hopeful ending it is at least of the same. Yeah. It's, it's of a piece with yeah. the, uh, with the yeah. original material. 